That is a trailer from a, a documentary that was recently released. Um, we have some Christian uh, filmmakers who are making a documentary of persecuted countries throughout the world. And what they've discovered in the country of Iran is that there, are, there is a great awakening happening inside of Iran uh, where people are walking away from Mohammed and walking into the arms of Jesus. And ironically, this is being led by a movement of women rather than men as they have um, pledged their lives as sacrifices, uh, regardless of the cost. I don't know if you were able to follow the, uh, the, the uh, conversation there, the, the interview, but the woman was essentially saying in this modulated voice that I don't know when I leave in the morning, I don't know if I'm coming back to my home. And my husband and I have agreed that if I do not come back, we will accept any consequences that occur, including I know what will happen to me. I will be raped, I will be beaten, and then I will be killed. And this is my sacrifice to Jesus. Jesus asked his disciples at a very key point of his ministry, who do you say that I am? And this is the question that we need to ask ourselves this morning and answer. Who do you say that I am? C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, wrote this very eloquent, almost two-paragraph description of this question, answering this question. And it essentially boils down to three things. Is Jesus your Lord? Is he a liar or is he a lunatic? And I would add, or is he a legend? Back during the 16 and 1700s, there was a great awakening among the intellectuals of that time. There was a French philosopher, his, name was, his last name was Voltaire. He was a deist, which means that he believed that there was a God but he absolutely railed against the authority of the Bible, and he didn't believe much about the Jesus thing. He just knew that there might be a God out there. He wrote, the Bible, that's what fools have written, what imbeciles have commend, uh, commend what rogues teach, and young children are made to learn by heart. We fast forward to 2008 when Richard Dawkins, a noted atheist, and by the way, um, he wrote The God Delusion, but more importantly, when he comes to Phoenix and to the uh, Arizona State University campus in Tempe, they have a public forum where he appears and has a discussion and answered question session. It has gotten so large that they fill Gamage Auditorium with upwards to four to 5,000 college students as they listen to a very noted atheist, very well-known atheist, espouse his views. He says this. He says, presumably, what happened to Jesus was what happens to all of us when we die. We decompose. Accounts of Jesus' resurrection and ascension are about as well-documented as Jack and the Beanstalk. Ravi Zacharias a few years ago when uh, he was speaking of Voltaire 
But listen to this. This is interesting. Voltaire is reported to have said that within a hundred years of his day, that the Bible would be a forgotten book, which is absolutely true. He says, the strange twist of irony, within a century of his death, one of his homes in France would belong to the Geneva Bible Society and would serve as the place where Bibles were printed and distributed. What Dawkins and Voltaire and many of the academics of today, the atheists of, of today, they would answer the question if Jesus were to ask them, and who do you say I am? They would say, you're a legend. It's a fairy tale. None of this ever mattered or existed. If we look in current affairs of today, there was a study done. This, this is dated about 10 years ago. But when the Pew uh, Research Center, I believe, for faith and religion, asked this question among, among Americans, and particularly evangelicals, evangelicals are people who are identifying as people who believe in Jesus, and they asked the question, is Jesus the only way to God? 50% of evangelicals said no. There are many ways to God. And so if if Jesus were to ask these people that question today, who do you say I am? They wouldn't say that Jesus was the, um, the only way. Back during the religious times of uh, Jesus, um, there was another category. People who thought that he was an absolute lunatic, that he was crazy. This comes out of Matthew Matthew chapter 9. Shortly after the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is ministering among the people. This comes out of a, a chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. It's a short paragraph. He says, when he got into the boat, he crossed over and he came to his own city. And behold, some people brought him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes, the scribes are the religious authorities of the day. That would be like the pastors and the bishops and those type of people who really know Scripture super well. And some of the scribes said to themselves, this man, he's blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil is in your hearts? For which is it easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And when he rose, he went home. And the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given him so much authority to men. You see, the religious authorities and the people who were uh, by the book in those days thought Jesus was a lunatic. He was crazy. How could a man in flesh, like you and I, forgive somebody's sins? Unequivocally forgive sins. Not like me and you, you know, oh, you've sinned against me and I forgive you. But actual pardon of sin where you don't have to ask forgiveness any longer. Because you remember those Jews, the, the, the Jewish people and the Jewish rites were something completely different. 
Each year, they had to atone for their sins. Um, uh, and they had to bring a, a perfect lamb or a perfect goat, perfect whatever it was, a pigeon, to the temple, and the priest would slaughter it on their behalf. They would take that blood, and they would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat, and then they would be forgiven. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. It's on my authority that your sins are forgiven. Now, if we just think from a human perspective for just a moment, does that sound crazy? Because there are people right now in psychiatric wards that believe that. They believe they're Jesus. They believe that they can forgive sins. And so this question that Jesus asks his disciples really cuts to the heart of us. And we have to answer that question. When he asks, whom do you say that I am? And those who choose, Jesus, you are my Lord. You are the Messiah. I am going to align my life to you because you are the only way to reconcile myself with the creator of the universe. And I'm going to follow you in all of my ways as we sing occasionally. Those people will be opposed. They will be persecuted. They will be reviled. And Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, said, this is a blessing to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom in heaven. How crazy is that? That those that will be opposed, those that will be reviled, reviled simply means being insulted, being made fun of, being impugned. We might not suffer the persecution that those Iranian women will suffer. But don't we suffer, don't people revile us for standing up for Jesus and believing in him? Don't they insult us? Don't they impugn us, make fun of us? Don't they try to make lives, our lives, really more difficult than what it should be? D.A. Carson, who's a, a theologian, a noted theologian of today, says, if there is no objective truth that binds people together, there's only truth for the individual or for individual groups. And so what we come down to is this idea of authority. And this, that's part of what this lesson teaches us this morning as we dive deeper into this idea of who do I say I am, when we pick the correct answer, it will lead to opposition, reviling, and possible persecution. And we pick, uh, when we pick the correct answer, it tells the world that we live under an authority that brings mercy and justice into the world at the same time. We understand that through the, through the cross, where Jesus brings his mercy and God the Father brings his justice in a perfect alignment to where both are satisfied at the same time through Jesus' death and subsequent re resurrection. But that's not what the world would say. In fact, the world laughs at us when we make such bold assertions. 
And then when we try to live our, out our life in those convictions, we're seeing here in America that um, it's becoming increasingly hostile to do that very thing. There was a, very, there was a noted case um, several years ago, in 2018. Um, I'm reading a summary of a court case from the Supreme Court with uh, Masterpiece Bakery in Colorado versus the Colorado Civil Rights Commission. It all started because a, a, a gay couple wanted to, came into this bakery and wanted them to bake a cake for their wedding, and they refused based on their convictions and said, you know, I, I'm, I can't do that. If you want to buy a cake, you can buy a cake, but I'm not going to custom make a cake. And this uh, led all the way to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court ruled in favor of the baker, but it was a very narrow decision. And narrow meaning that they, it was a 7-2 decision, so the majority ruled on that. But the decision was very, very narrow. They, they focused on something that the state did that they thought violated the, uh, the, the uh, Masterpieces uh, Bakery's um, rights. And here's, here's what they said, end quote. Um, he said, the, the business is serving the public... Uh, might have its right to the free exercise of religion in a li- limited by generally applicable laws in which religious hostility on the part of the state itself is a factor in violating the state's obligation of religious neutrality. Simply means when the state rules on something, they can't be, um, uh, they have to be neutral when it comes to religion. And there were documents throughout this case where the state was not that they were hostile towards the Christian faith. And the Supreme Court said it's because of that is that we're ruling for the baker. And we see this in, in, in everyday life as well. Um, uh, kids get made fun of at school because they decide to pray before they eat lunch. Or they get called prude when their sexual ethics rub against the sexual ethics of the, of the, the youth of, of, of today, of the teenagers of today. Which leads to this idea of persecution, opposition. In one of the greatest books ever written, John Milton's uh, Paradise Lost, is an epic poem written in the 1600s. Uh, Paradise Lost was essentially a very, very, very thick poem, very long poem that described that was John Mel- uh, Milton's um, interpretation of what happened after Adam and Eve ate the apple. Paradise was lost. And then what are the effects of that? This poem stretched 12 books. And it took him about 12, maybe 15 years to write. In the very last book of Paradise Lost, he writes this. Ask the question, who or when will heavy persecution arise? On all who worship and persevere in the spirit and truth. He says, truth will retire when it's struck by slanderous darts. And faith of works will be rarely found during that time. 
I find those words uh, prophetic, written in the 1600s of possibly something coming here today. The issue is that this, this has been going on for centuries. In fact, since Jesus asked this very central question to his disciples, let me, ask, let me uh, read how the disciples answered the question. First, Jesus asked, who do people say that I am? And they said, some of you say that you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. Others say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say I am? And Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Did you catch that? Blessed are you. Hold on to that word. For flesh, and blood, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, Peter, that on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So in this very beginning of the, when the church was born, Jesus knew that there was going to be opposition. And he described it in very vivid terms. The gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church, against you, against us. What does that imply, Jesus? Opposition. Persecution. Insults. Derisiveness. Being made fun of. Being ruled against in the court of law. It's all coming. Why? Because people do not want to believe that I am the Lord. They believe that I'm a legend. They believe I'm a lunatic. They believe I'm a liar. I find it very, very interesting. Peter is one of my favorite characters in the whole Bible because he just wears his heart on the sleeve. As Jesus is going through his trial, <laughs> this persecution shows up. Now, Peter was sitting outside the courtyard. Jesus is being tried right now. Uh, this is the night before that he was that he was a. Uh, uh, crucified. And a servant girl came up to him, and the servant girl happens to be the high priest servant girl. The high priest would be like the pope of the time. Um, and the high priest was in the trial right now as they're trying Jesus. And one of his servant girls came up to Peter and said, hey, you were also with Jesus the Galilean. But Peter denied it before all of them saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went to the entrance, another servant girl saw him and said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus, the Nazareth. And again, he denied it with the oath, I do not know this man. And a little while, the bystanders came up to Peter. He said, certainly you two are one of them, for your accent betrays you. And then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know that man. 
And immediately the rooster crowed. That's that famous story of Jesus foretelling that, hey, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And Peter's like, you're out of your mind. You see the opposition's beginning right then and there against the church. So why do we expect anything different today? This, my friends, is really a spiritual battle above our pay grade. It's a battle between the creator, maker and creator of the heavens and the earth and the angel who decided to take things in his own hands and try to be God himself and was cast along with a legion of demons or a legion of other angels turned into demons out of heaven. This is a battle between God and between the devil. And what's the battleground? Our hearts. You ever have those strange feelings as you're, I know what I need to do, but I'm not going to do it, even though I know that I know that I know that I, that I can't do it. And so I've got to do it. And now I know I can't do it and I shouldn't do it. But oh, I did it anyway. Anybody ever have that dilemma in their minds? Or right, anybody have that dilemma in their minds this morning? Right? I mean, we all have that at some point. And that's really the battle that is facing here. And Jesus continually asking us, who do you think I am? There's a story of a, of a man. His name was Alban. This was happening. He was the fir first British um, martyr. The Romans, shortly before the Roman Empire... Uh, named Christianity as being the, relig the religion of the entire empire. Um, there were some ruthless, ruthless Caesars. In one particular account, these Roman soldiers are going from house to house to house looking for this priest. They knew he was in the town, and they knew that somebody was hiding him. And they were knocking on the doors, much like the Nazis would knock on the doors at the time of um, people in Poland or people in Czechoslovakia or someplace looking for Jews. And of course, we knew that um, many, many people would hide Jews everywhere they could hide them to save them from being killed. Much the same situation. These Roman soldiers were after this priest. They could not find him. A good man, his name was Alban, uh, came across this Christian priest. And he was trying to hide himself from the persecutors. And Albion took him into his own house and sheltered him there. And he was so struck with observing how the priest prayed to God and spent long hours in the night in religious exercises. I would imagine reading the Bible and fasting and maybe journaling and praying and meditating on Scripture that soon he became a believer in Christ. The priest was hotly searched for and information was given that he was in Alban's house. So when the soldiers came to look for him, Alban knew what they were up to. He put on the priest's clothing so that the soldiers would seize him and carried him before the judge. And the judge found that they brought the wrong man. In his rage at the disappointment, he told Alban that he must endure the punishment which was meant for the other. 
Alban heard this without any fear and being questioned, he declared that he was a Christian, a worshiper of the true God, and that he would not sacrifice to idols which could do no good. He was put to torture, but bore gladly for his Savior's sake. And then, as he was still firm in professing his faith, the judge gave orders that he should be beheaded. And when he had been laid to the place of execution, which was a little grassy knoll that rose gently above one side of the town, the soldier that was to have him put to death was so moved at the sight of Alban's behavior that he threw away his sword and desired to be put to death with him. They were both beheaded in the town of Verelum, in which they suffered, and since has been called St. Albans, from the name of the first British martyr. My friends, I hope that we never come to this point in this country where these decisions have to be made. But as we've seen, decisions in Iran are being made on a daily basis. And they're answering the question when Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? You are the Lord. You are the true God. I will follow you in all of my ways and I will forsake all of the other religions, all of the other idols. Where does hope like this come from? You say, well, gosh, that's very courageous. And it is. But First Peter was written by Peter to a group of people who were being persecuted at the time. He writes this in the very first chapter of the book. He writes this, Blessed be the God, our Father, Jesus Christ. According to the great mercy, has caused us to be born again, to have living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's key. We now have living hope. Here's the other key. We have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. That means it's permanent. It's eternal. It's never going away. There's nothing that can be taken from us that's going to change that central fact. And, as Peter would say, it's kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. It is in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. My friends, that is where we find our hope. That is where the Iranian women find their hope. That is where Alban found his hope. He wasn't looking at the world horizontally. He was looking at the world through God's eyes, coming down, saying, if there's eternity past and eternity forward, and my life is right here, my life might be a sixteenth of an inch of a world that stretches from the earth to the moon. So 
I can endure the various trials. Whatever the opposition gives us, whether it be be made fun of, whether it be um, being persecuted in some way, I can endure because he has endured for me. And I know that I'm going to be with him forever. And when he gives me that new body, it's imperishable. It's not going to be this. I'm not going to have these glasses. I'm not going to have medication. I don't need doctors or nurses or hospitals or anything else. Because I'm going to live forever in the presence of Jesus. And be with him forever and ever and ever. And he is going to give me everything that I ever need. He is going to wipe every tear from my eye. Does the world have an answer to that? That is what this guy, Alban, saw in the priest. He saw a glimpse of heaven on earth. This is what the soldier who was supposed to execute Alban saw in Alban, leading him to the gallows. He said, I want a piece of that. I hope that this is what we see this morning so that we can be of good cheer in the midst of opposition. That we can be in good cheer in matters of life and death. The word blessing oftentimes can be translated as fortunate. So as we read back our verses for today in Matthew 5, 10 through 12, it says, blessed are those who are persecuted. Let's look at this this way. Fortunate are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Fortunate are those of you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, if I didn't believe in God, I would say, that's lunacy. You're crazy. And that's a lie. That's got to be a legend. Who would live that way unless it's true? That's the central question for us to answer this morning. When Jesus asks you, who do you say I am? How will you answer? Father, as we come to you, we would ask that you would deeply imprint this upon our hearts in such a way that we can wrestle with you over this question. We know there's many mysteries that you have, We know there's things that we can't figure out. We know there's things that we probably shouldn't know. But we also know of your testimony. We also know that this testimony is true. We also know that you are real and these events actually happened. You actually died for us and were raised again because of your love for us. So, Lord, as we wrestle with you this morning, 
Help us answer the question, who do you say that I am? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.